Hi, hello, this is Chad, and I guess you're here for an episode of Zick and Wick. That's right, Zick is here. Wait, sorry, Wick is here. In this episode, we have some mild swearing. We say a couple bad words. So if you've got kids in the car, maybe save this for later or cover their ears. But don't get into an accident. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Chad, and you're here for another episode of Zick and Wick. We are going to be talking about The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 5, Chapter 21, called The Pirate. Ooh, I didn't see who directed or wrote this episode. Do you know? It was uh, Peter Ramsey, but it was written by John Favreau. Oh, yes, Peter Ramsey of the Spider-Man... Spider-Verse movie. Oh, is that where he's from? Mm-hmm. There was three directors because okay. they, you know, it's an animation, so they they had to break up the workflow. But yeah, he's one of the three. Interesting. Okay. I never, I mean, I've obviously seen it in Spider-Verse, but I haven't heard, I've never heard his name before. He's, he, he works on a lot of stuff and he's, he's known in Hollywood. Gotcha. Okay. Let's yeah. Let's, let's just go right into the recap. All right. So. We start back on Navarro. We go into High Magistrate Grief Carga's office, and he's just doing some kind of city planning, like planning where some new rail spurs and trade trade depots will be and all this stuff. But while he's doing that, he gets interrupted from a call from Pirate King Gorian Shard, the same pirate we see in the first episode. So we're finally getting back to that storyline. Yeah, so th- they're basically implying that Navarro's doing very well and they are independent. They are not with the New Republic, so they do not have any protection. Yeah, and that was uh, that was one thing that Gr- Grief was kind of trying to bluff Gorian Shard through this whole call, like saying, oh, we can get the New Republic or we can get these other guys that are coming through. Somebody will protect us. But Gorian Shard knows, like he's... He's up on what's going on in that area. He knows the Empire is not protecting them anymore. The new they haven't signed any any they haven't signed their documentation to be part of the New Republic, so they're not getting any protection. So he knows he's just gonna be able to take this the city, this planet, no problem. Yeah, and if you recall, in early in this season, Carl Grief. Weathers, no, yeah, yeah Grief Carga. Yeah. yeah, if you recall, early in this season, Grief Carga is trying to recruit Mando to stay in Navarro, and I think it's partially to get some protection for their their little area. Yeah, basically he wants him to take who Cara Dune's Cara Dune's old not title but of of, of Navarro. Mm-hmm. But he is not that's one thing I I don't I don't know how believable it was is if you think back to season one, this guy is the he is leading a bounty hunter guild. Yeah. And now he is leading this city and knows he has no defense. That's yeah, it's, seems, it's a bit a of a stretch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you would think that he wouldn't have access to folks who could, you know, either for pay or yeah. for land or something, they could protect this area. But they needed, you know. And maybe he's just going off the thought that people still think the Empire is occupying this area, so they're, they won't mess with it, or that, yeah, like, maybe they're still thinking that Cara Dune is... is Part of the new republic and she's still there and so they're under the new republic protection so i think he's really just kind of he's basically just playing well he called the the 
pirate calls him out and says, are you playing a game of Sabacc? Basically, are you playing mm-hmm. poker? Is yeah. He's, doing it. he's playing poker and he's got nothing in his hand. So, okay, if you recall, Moff Gideon had a little base of operations on the planet just right. a bit of ways. Gorian Shard mentions that Moff Gideon was once protecting the planet. Maybe not directly protecting it, but because that's where his base was, people weren't going to attack it, I presume. We're... Or was he officially... Well, I guess he's... Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you remember back to Season 1, there were TIE fighters, he had stormtroopers all over. There was some... It may not have been a lot of protection, but there was some protection on that on the on the planet from the from the remnants of the empire. And it was not from the New Republic, and they were not really part of any organized, you know, the system. Only, the only connection they had to the New Republic was when Caradun did take the tie, did take the position of of Navarro, and she was connected to the New Republic. Okay. So that's really the, but it's pretty, it's a pretty loose connection. Like they really. They go into it later in the episode that they are not part of the New Republic. Got it. So after that little one, one little cool Easter egg I saw, the, if you look right when the episode starts, they show like kind of a zoom in of the uh, kind of the tower, not the tower, but the, the archway. But the ship that lands there is a is the same model as the Razor Crest, the original mm. Din's original ship. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything. It was just the first time we'd seen that ship again, or that type ship again. So Gorian Shard, he obviously isn't, he's not fooled by this, and he starts immediately bombarding the city, and then basically all the residents just kind of have to run out of the city with with Reef Karga. But before they before he gets out of there, he does send a message to Carson Teva, who is one of the, the new Republic X-Wing fighters that we see in the previous season. So that's the next cutscene as we get to we get to that new Republic base where Grief Karga is, I don't know if he's stationed or just holding over, but we do get some very cool Easter eggs in this scene. So the first one, I, I don't, not a lot of people noticed. I didn't notice the first time I saw it. I saw it on the second viewing is the three pilots that were at the bar with Carson Teva were Dave Filoni, Deborah Chow, and Rick Famuyuma. Wait, what? Where? At the bar. At the Behind at them? The, no, no. Yeah. On, so they're... So Carson Teva was yeah. on the left side of the bar. The three pilots on the right were the were the three character. Oh. their three character pilots. Deborah Chow so, is back there too. Yep, the three of them. And you can the one that's hardest to see is Rick Famuyuma, but you definitely get a good shot of Dave Filoni and Deborah Chow. I did not. How did I miss that? <laughs> yeah. So it's I didn't see it the first time. I I saw it second the second time I saw the hat, and that's what made me kind of pause oh, it and look. Of course, all of the hat. Yeah. But the best Easter egg of all this, this was actually my favorite scene of the, the entire episode, probably was the spar scene, was we get to see Zeb for the first time in live action. A lot of people won't know who Zeb is. I recognize um, him, but I didn't go on. Continue. Yeah, so he's the, he's the big blue alien guy that comes and starts talking to Carson Teva. He is one of the main characters from Rebels, which was an animated show ended a couple oh. of years ago. Yes. That was Dave Filoni's second big like project after Clone Wars. So the fact that you have a previously only animated character, an alien, that is now in real life sitting across the bar from Dave Filoni, mm-hmm. to me that was that was really cool. That's just kind of like I'm sure he geeked out about that. I'm such an idiot. I was like, where is this guy from? Because I watched a little bit of Rebels, but not enough. Uh, yeah. Corey I, seems very excited to have seen Zeb. Yeah, I thought, the, and I thought it looked like his he looks character. Great. I, I knew exactly who he was as mm-hmm. soon as he came up. Like it's the 
the mocap or whatever. I mean, it, it was probably a pro. It was probably a guy in a suit, and then they just like digitally. But it was really face. well done. Yeah, it looked really good. So he's gonna be in. He's gonna be in the Ahsoka series. He's gotcha. gonna, probably gonna be in this series. It's all good. He'll he'll make a. He'll show up again. But he he's part of. Is he part of the but, New Republic? As is he an X wing fighter? Yeah. So he's wearing the New Republic like jumpsuit. So he was. But a, it's not red. It's not orange though. It's gray. Did you notice that? It's. So if you look when they're first going in, there's guys in blue and there's guys in orange. He's, oh. He was wearing one of the blue ones. To me, I bet he's a he's probably flying a B, a Y wing instead okay. of an X wing. Okay. That, that's probably the difference. If if I just had to. so that was really cool. I, I really enjoyed that. The conversation between Carson and Zeb, just in a nutshell, is basically that Carson Teva gets this message from from grief that his planet needs help. Carson said, "I'm going to send a message to the New Republic." And Zeb basically tells them, you're not going to get through. They're not They're not listening to anybody. They're so backed up with other stuff that you're just like, it's going to be pointless to send that message. So Carson Teva takes it on him. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to just, I'm going to go there and get somebody to help them, basically. So that's the next place we go. We go straight from this the, the planet where the pilots are back to Coruscant. So mm-hmm. we, see, we see Carson Teva going into this office building, basically this bureaucrat's building. And who we run into is who he meets with is the name is Colonel Colonel Tuttle, but it's no guy. With, it, yeah, well, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Tim Tim Meadows. Is it Tim, yeah, Meadows? Tim Meadows? Is that his name? The, the the ladies' man. Yeah, yeah, Tim. Yeah, so he was. I mean, I, his character it was it was a pretty small part, but what his, what he's trying to get across mm-hmm. with this whole thing is that they are just now as much as a bureaucracy bureaucracy as. The old Republic is as the Empire was, as now the New Republic is. Again, it's kind of going back to that previously previous course on episode. It's just nothing's really changed. We still you gotta still jump through a bunch of hoops. Yeah, we may be the nice guys now, but we're still we're not going to help you because you're not part if you were part of the system, we still might not even help you because sign you're the so far in the outer sign room. the treaty. Yeah, you gotta sign the treaty. But he, they even said even even his character Tim Meadows character said even if they were part of it, they're so backed up on other mm-hmm. issues that we're not going to go help this small outer rim planet that just has a pirate problem. And what's the the lady's name that used to be part of uh, Moff Gideon? Elia Kane. So of Elia course Kane. she's like yes. very very conveniently she's working at this building at the exact same time we're having this conversation. Well, Elia um, Kane is clearly still in cahoots with somebody that is not does not have good intentions. So yeah, and, they, and, she wants them navarro to sign the accords or whatever you want to call it they want to they want them to be annexed into the new republic so she she does but part of her whole conversation is it's a very like empire way of thinking like okay if they're not going to take if they don't want to sign it then they need to have some kind of punishment to show them that they should have signed it basically that's kind of the position i'm curious what i was not sure whether her intention was to simply control the planet so they can get to some of the cloning hardware that's still there or if there's some sort of resource there. I don't think she cares about the planet. I think she and Moth Gideon care about something that's there. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think we know. I I think you're right. I think she, her main focus her main is whatever Moff Gideon's endgame is so but then he kind of Carson kind of gives the same speech that he gave to Cara Dune in season two that 
something just doesn't feel right in this area. Something is bubbling over. They even they even go so far as to say, do you think like the pirate thing and the and the empire is connected? And they kind of laugh it off. He's like, it wouldn't surprise him if they're connected somehow. She's playing a necessary role to kind of hint at that that there is something going on within the New Republic and that there are CD people behind the scenes that are tinkering with the whatever the the New Republic is trying to achieve. And it, this is kind of like a, getting a little bit of a deeper cut, but if you there's a book called um, Bloodline. It's about it takes place. I think it's like eight years before the force awakens it's it's mainly about leia princess leia and like kind of her politics at that point and how she decides to split off from the new republic and become just form the resistance but in that book they talk a lot about how there's a lot of internal people within the new republic that are basically helping the the new the first order at that point so they i mean there's there's been plenty of seeds planted but and that's not that far off from this time frame so this is probably I guess it's probably about 15 years after this, but it still is not. We're seeing the seeds of that, of kind of the bad eggs in the New Republic that are eventually going to take it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the whole scene on Coruscant, we Carson Teva sees he's not going to get any help, so he's going to his backup option. He is tracking the man. He's tra- tracking Din. And he does it by using R5, the, the R5 droid. Now, how we know that he, how does he know that Din has R5? Maybe, maybe he goes to course or maybe he goes to Tatooine and talks to Pelly, and that's how he finds out. But that was a little yeah, detail. Yeah, a little that, convenient. Yeah. But I did like they connected, if you watch The Bad Batch, there was an episode this season about how they used their droid to, their stips, their ship gets stolen. And that's the only way they can track their ship is they're they're able to use their droid that's still on the ship. So it's kind of a little fun little connection between Bad Batch and Mandalorian, pretty from like recent history. So Carson Teva gets to gets to the planet. He finds him. He gives the message to Din, and Din agrees that he needs to help Grief Karga. So then it's up to Din to kind of convince the Mandalorians to get on his side. But what he kind of dangles as a carrot to them is. I've, that he's been offered this giant tract of land on Navarro. And if we help do this, we're going to be heroes to them. And we're going to have this nice giant plot of land. And we don't have to live on this dinosaur <laughs> planet anymore. Planet, yeah. <laughs> or, or we don't have to live in the sewers on Navarro anymore. We can go just live. I mean, just basically be the protectors of Navarro and be, and life, life will get a lot better. So he gives his speech. Uh, he finishes and the armor asks if anybody else wants to speak. And of course, Paz Vizsla speaks up and he gets the the speaking hammer. And this is where you kind of feel like, oh, everything's going to go off the rails. He's just going to, he's going to be himself. And the speech kind of starts taught. It starts like that, where he's talking about all the bad stuff. Like, why are we going to help these people? Blah, blah, blah. But then he totally does a 180 and he totally, he 100% supports Din on this and says, yeah, it's time for us to be, to go have a to go live in the light like let our children not have to worry about dinosaurs or living in the sewer let's mm-hmm. go do this mission and and better our society so that whole um, episode where din and bk save his kid is setting this is the up payoff. yeah this is the payoff yep. for it 
Yep. So we get through the speech, everybody's on board, and we do get a quick scene with Bo kind of almost assembling the army, kind of going through the marching orders, talking about her ship. So it's kind of setting her up that she's going to be one of the leaders of this campaign too. It's not just going to be Din's campaign. So we're kind of getting some foreshadowing going along with that that scene as well. So we get everybody ready. Everybody goes to Navarro. Basically just kind of big battle scene, lots of stuff going on. There was some stuff I liked about the battle scene. There was stuff I didn't like about the battle scene. Just kind of the stuff I liked. I thought the air battle was pretty cool. I thought all that was good. The, yeah. the little pirate ships, the big pirate ship using the the two using the the N1 and, and Bo ship. Um, the Mandalorians doing the drop ship, the jet packing out of the ship was really cool. That was a good scene. The armor sneaking in and taking out the turret, I thought was a fun scene. There were, but there were a couple things I didn't like. One thing, and it, it, it was a previous scene too. It was kind of just the scenes with the Navarro residents. It felt very Book of oh, Boba Fett to me. Oh yeah. It looked, it's like, it was like rough. Yeah. Yeah, and, oh, and this is we're where helpless. Let's walk over here. This was the one. This is the first time this season I really felt like the limitations of the volume. Yeah, like that's that's that's. I mean, you felt it almost every episode in Book of Boba. Not every episode, but a lot of the episodes in Book of Boba Fett. You really felt it here. Like it just. There shouldn't be fifty people living in the city. There should be at least hundreds of people living in the city. And this is really where you can. To me, this is where I felt the biggest difference between something like this and Andor. Andor didn't have a huge cast but they melt they made everything feel much bigger yeah than this felt so yeah. that was my that was my main complaint it, it so my complaint is because of the way that the mandalorian the show is the stakes they're stated as being high but they're not i don't actually feel like the stakes are high mm -hmm. leading up to this part of the episode i was very like okay 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 I didn't or didn't love it, didn't hate it, but I really did enjoy the battle. So I, yeah. I I've watched it a couple times now, and I, that was very cool. Yeah, that, it was really just the scenes with the residents that kind of took me out of it. But everything else, I liked it. I liked about the battle. There was one thing that I was so the the fighting that happens on the ground is not so great and then the, those those mandalorians do get cornered and trapped pretty easily but yeah. it did that was the one time where i was like oh crap what's gonna happen right when they're yeah. in the alleyway yeah but yeah you're right i mean a few of them get shot but none of them i i don't even know if any of them get killed i mean i think I, we see one guy get blown off a building and that's about it yeah but yeah, you're right. The stakes did feel very low, which this is kind of a segue. I just thought about this. So the up until this point, the Mandalorian had become coming out on the same day as Bad Batch. So this was the season, the same day as the season finale of Bad Batch. Mm -hmm. And that it, that was like the opposite. That was super high stakes. Like we had a main character die at the end. We were like left at like the end of the the end of the season is a total like return of the jedi like we just or not return of the empire strikes back we just got our ass kicked and like what is going to happen now like everybody's just kind of scattered and like you just don't know how things are going to get better everything just seems very bleak so it was like and i watched that first so coming off that where the stakes were very high and the and everything that happened was very felt very real this kind of felt like yeah okay nobody nobody got hurt yeah. no no big deal so yeah, Bad Batch is something that we don't really cover on the pod, but I was talking with a friend and I don't I don't think there's a lot of viewers for the show. I don't hear like anyone talking about it, but it must have its own it must have an audience. So 
Um, yeah, I think I, I think I think if you watch the Clone Wars and you watch Rebels, it's the same people that are watching that. Um, yeah, to me, yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna come into it like nobody. Like I'm not gonna like my wife and I watched Mandalorian together. She's not gonna watch Bad Batch. It's yeah. not. It's not really a show for casual fan, really. I debated whether or not we should do some expansion into Bad Batch, but no, I think yeah. it's probably best we focus on Mando. The the one nice thing about watching those extra shows, though, where it's Clone Wars or Bad Batch or Rebels, you get more out of the Mandalorian. You get the Zeb reveal. You mm-hmm. you you know Bo Katan's backstory more. Um, you know the you know Paz Vizsla his his ancestor's story. So you just get. It's not required viewing to enjoy the Mandalorian, but you do get the Easter eggs and the connections that that make it a little more fun. But so we're done with this. Yeah. Yep. So we finish off Gorian Shard. We do see that his first officer, the the pirate we saw in the first one, Vane, Mm -hmm. he escaped. So I'm sure there'll be some connection with him at some point. So that, but they made a point to show that. Oh, Gorian Shard does mention that they are part of the pirate nation. So there is a collective of pirates that form some sort of like loose connection, but there's more pirates out there. And that's another connection from Clone War. There were a lot, and and Rebels, there were a lot of pirate episodes. Mm-hmm. One one of the main characters, Hondo, we, we haven't seen in live action, but I, everybody feels like we're going to see him at some point. So just look for that. Look for that name. Look for Hondo. Hondo. I can't remember Hondo's last name, but... He's a fun character if we do get to see him again. So we get through the battle, we get done. Grief does, he makes good on his word. He gives the Mandalorians that track track the land that he promised Din in episode one. One fun Easter egg from that, they, he said with the borders war, one of the borders was Bullock Canyon. So the, the actor's name who played the original Boba Fett, his name was Jeremy Bullock. So it was his his canyon. So it was a fun little... On the least drag. Then after, so during that scene, Paz Vizsla comes up to Bo-Katan and tells her the armor would like to speak with you. So she's waiting at the old forge in the sewers underneath Navarro, um, and they start having their talk. And we do find we actually find out that the armor actually does believe that yeah. Bo-Katan did see the myth. That's a change. Yeah. So what? She's obviously had time to think about it. So she's she's totally changed her mind on this. Yeah, I was wondering whether maybe she sees that Bo-Katan is a, like this very excellent warrior, maybe, and she's inspired and she's, you know, taking on the creed very strongly. Yeah. Maybe that's what, what who's the armorer in or convinces the armorer to maybe believe Bo-Katan. Yep, and I, and, and I think she is taking what she's seen from Bo-Katan plus the fact that she says she's seen a mythosaur, that that is the sign that it is time for the Mandalorians to go take their planet back. Yes. So it, and she feels like Bo, at this point, she feels like Bo-Katan is that leader that's going to help them take, take the planet back. Well, did you, um, well, did we, did you skip over the major point of that or thing that happens in that conversation? No, I'm getting, so as part of that conversation, she tells her to take her helmet off, which Bo is like, she's hesitant at first. She's like, I, are you sure? Like, I'm not, why this is against what you tell us to do. And then the armor kind of goes into the speech that you're the one that we, it's not just us that is going to retake Mandalore. We need all the Mandalorians out there. We need the ones that don't walk this strict path that we do. We need the ones that are more like you or, or other factions that are taking their helmet off or aren't, or don't play, don't necessarily follow all the same like old rules, old way rules. So that's another reason she thinks 
Bo-Katan is the leader they need because she can. She says she can walk both ways, basically mm-hmm. walk both paths. And let so me I just say, that. when she took that helmet off, I said, "Thank God," because yeah. I, you know, we've got Pedro Pascal with his helmet on, or whoever's underneath that helmet. We got all these other Mandalorians with their helmet on. Bo-Katan, Katie Sackoff. No, we can't have that. Yeah. We she is doing. Excellent acting with her face. Yep. Oops. One second. She's doing excellent acting with her face. She's emoting. And we're used to seeing her with her helmet off. Please get this thing off of her head. Right. <laughs> and actually, my biggest suspense of that little that little thing was I thought I thought the armor might take her helmet off at one point. I was like, oh, are we like are we getting to that point? Are we changing the rules? Is it's like is she seen the seen the light and now we're gonna go back we're gonna go to okay we can take our helmets off now obviously yeah. it didn't happen but and then something this is kind of more of a thought that went through my mind to me it kind of feels like so the title of the show is the mandalorian but i feel like the mandalorian we're talking about has shifted or is shifting from din to bow yeah I don't, she's the more interesting character it, like this whole season like she has had the more important character moments like din has just kind of been like he doesn't really have a, and we don't know what his path is. Like his path was to deliver Grogu. He did it, and now he's just kind of like fumbling his way through through this. Where we we feel like we have a path with Bo. So the the issue I'm, I'm, oh, the issue with 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 Din's journey is he's taken on Grogu Grogu, and he's taking care of him now, but. Grogu is not going to grow up. We're not going to get to see an adolescent or an adult Grogu. He's going to be yeah, gonna, a, a toddler. It's like 100 years. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's nothing else that Mando can do besides protect him. So we need someone that's going to have an arc. And that's going to... The inter, the more interesting arc is going to be with Bo-Katan. Maybe yeah. Din can help her, but this is mostly her story at this point. Yeah, this is be, it's definitely become her story. And I'm still hoping for some time in the next few episodes, and I think one of the episodes still has Filoni as a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping for some flashbacks to like Bo's story before her connection to her sister, to Old Mandalore, to Obi Wan, like that. To me, that would I, I'm still crossing my fingers for something like that. And we are going to retake Mandalore. That seems to be the next aspect of this season. We're going to move on to that. We've dealt with it. We talked about this early on. The whole pirates coming back to Navarro. One thing we have not touched on in a while, and they they kind of hint at this a little bit in the beginning of this season and the beginning of sorry in the beginning of this episode, is you see the statue of IG Eleven, like kind of a cut in half because they didn't take trying in to fix them. trying to fix yeah. them. So we we still have that that little thing about bringing back. IG-11 that we're going to get back to. I totally yeah, I forgot that, about that. I, I I did, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I do remember that scene from the very beginning of the episode. I, I That was the one thing I, it just felt like that was going to be a storyline and they just dropped it. Like, they didn't even go into it at all in the second. No. So I, yeah, I, I, I have more to talk about on that Uh-oh. at the end of the end of the end of the recap but you want me to finish off the recap yeah let's finish off the recap okay 
So we get done with Bo-Katan's speech, and it looks like the episode is done, but surprise, you get a little extra. It's almost, almost felt like an MCU mid-credit type mm -hmm. deal. So it's we're back to Carson Teva. He's in his X-Wing in space, and he's coming up on some wreckage. It's a it's a Lambda-class shuttle. It's kind of like one of those same shuttles you saw from uh, Return of the Jedi, the old Empire shuttles. And he's going through, he gets his little R2 unit to, I guess it's, uh, I guess it's an R7 unit. He has a little floating eyeball that he can use as kind of a little scanner thing that goes out into the into the wreckage and starts scanning everything. And while they're doing it, they kind of confirm that this was a prison transport. This was Moff Gideon's transport, and it was an extraction. He's not there. But the last little discovery we get is that the the droid does a scan and finds some Beskar alloy, like as shrapnel in there. So that was kind of the big surprise is, oh, did Mandalorians break in and take take him? So, I mean, there's a couple things this could be. It could be Mandalorians that did take him that just want to kill him because he's the one that decimated their planet. That could be like the group of, like, if you remember back from season two with Bo, he, she, he had Sasha Banks and the, the other Mandalorian character. So there could be a group of them out there that decide to take him because they're going to put him on as a, put him basically put him on their own trial. The other thing is from Rebels, we learn that the Empire actually had quite a few Mandalorians on there that defected to the Empire. Um, so it could be a group of them that still still has allegiance with, with Moff Gideon. But the other thing is Moff Gideon was in charge of destroying Mandalore. So I'm sure after he destroyed it, they went down and swooped up as much Beskar as they could. So it could just be some of the armor, some of the gear that his forces had from raiding Mand Mandalore after they yeah, destroyed it. Yeah, so they wouldn't have. There, somebody has either gone rogue or they're going to bring a character we haven't seen that is a Mandalorian back. Right. And I actually saw, I, I didn't notice this, but this was, inter it was a video I saw on YouTube. I thought it was interesting. At the very beginning, you know how they do this, the, it's the new kind of Star Wars like intro where they do all the masks. Mm -hmm. So they always do good guys in blue and they do bad guys in red. At the very end, there's a mask that looks a lot like Din's. It's a Mandalorian mask and they do it in red. Mm. But it, it, if you pause on it, it's not Din's mask. It's a different. It's a different helmet. It looks a lot. It's still. It's a very. It's a Mandalorian helmet. But they put a red light on it. So there, there is going to be a bad. Mandalorian is that a change to the intro? Is it was that always no. there? Um. Yeah. It's always been like that. It's always okay. been like a blue flashing light on a good character, red flashing light on a bad character. Okay. So, and they had a red Mandalorian at the end. And it's been there the last, it might be this whole season, but it was definitely the last. I noticed it, or I saw it on a video probably from two or three episodes ago, and I've noticed it every time since then, that okay. it's always in there. So, I, th I think you're right. I think we are going to get a bad Mandalorian here coming in. Okay, let me do some quick research here. Okay, so this episode, Chapter 21, The Pirate, directed by Peter Ramsey, written by John Favreau. Next week, we get Bryce Dallas Howard directing, John Favreau writing. Episode 7, so in two weeks, is going to be the episode that is written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. So we might get a, a setup episode next week, and then we're going to get an Ahsoka episode in two weeks. Yeah. So I can kind of, kind of what I was alluding to earlier was... There's, I like this episode, but I also didn't like this episode. I was very kind of, I had mixed feelings about this episode. 
Um, I like the elements of it. I like the story beats. It just felt so disjointed, like just the jumping from yeah. place to place very yeah. quickly. I, I like where the story is going or where I feel like the story is going, but I just don't like the path they're taking to get there. I think the execution is not where it should be, but the story is there. Like it could have right. done it better. I know that's, and, you know. And I've got a, and my theory with that is if you think about season one and season two, it was a lot of the same directors. It was John Favreau directed some episodes, Dave Filoni directed some episodes, Bryce Dallas Howard directed some episodes, mm-hmm. Rick Famuyuma, Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez. It was basically the same Carl yeah. Weathers. It was kind of the same cast of characters between season one and season two. So there was some consistency where they brought in a lot of new people into this. I think I think I saw that three out of the five episodes so far are brand brand new. Never directed a Mandalorian episode before. Yeah, Rachel Morrison's never done one before. Lee Isaac Chung hasn't done an episode before. Peter Ramsey hasn't done an episode before. So the the so, only repeats are episode one with Rick, episode four with Carl, and then yeah. episode seven and eight. Oh, six, seven, and eight. Bryce Dallas right. Howard does then the next one, and then we're back with Rick for the last two. So I just feel. Like I said, I feel like exactly what you said. The story's there. The path just has kind of been clunky to get there. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I I agree. I think there is a there is some more work that can be done, you know, executing this this writing. But and I and as we get to the end, the ending episodes are usually pretty good. We get some kind of cool like big reveal, whether it's Moff Gideon with the dark saber at the end of the first season, or it's Luke Skywalker at the end of the second season we'll get something like that whether it's a whether it's sabine and zeb showing up or if it's thrawn being introduced or what it, whatever it's going to be we're gonna have some big reveal at the end i'm still banking on that moff gideon is still connected to thrawn somehow i and i it wouldn't be surprised me if it was some of thrawn's people that got him out that just had that somehow had best guard armor or weapons or whatever they had um so I I feel like we're gonna get there, and it kind of took. I just hope the the execution isn't as clunky for the final three episodes. Yeah, yeah. All right, Zach. I don't have anything else I want to discuss. We're gonna skip on the news, and there's been some talk out there. Lots of things going on with Disney, but I didn't write down any notes, and I don't think it's that important. All right, Zach. Thank you for joining me and uh, for another episode of Zick and Wick. I am going to try. This is somebody else I I might try to get on the pod. I don't know if it's going to happen, but anyways. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Zick and Wick. And until next time, may the force be with you. See you later. Bye. 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 Bye.